A titan of the business world passed away earlier this week. Jack Welch, longtime General Electric CEO, has died. We'll share our favorite Welch-related lessons about business, life, and money with comedian Paul Ollinger on today's Money with Friends. Welcome to the Money with Friends podcast, coming to you live from my mom's half-finished basement outside of Detroit, Michigan. I'm Joe Salcihai. I'm Paul Allinger in Atlanta, Georgia, in my attic. I own this attic. It's not my mom's. <laughs> in the, he, he claims it. This is the podcast where we cover recent stories ripped from the financial press. Today, we're going to tackle one from CNN Business. Not only do we read them like some podcasts do, but we also dive into how these affect your wallet and what you can do to invest, save, and pay down debt more effectively. And if that's not enough, we'll also share a big idea at the end of the show that you can take with you to be better with money. We'll do that in usually less than 20 minutes. Today's show is brought to you by Ubiquity Retirement and Savings. Thanks to them for supporting Money with Friends. Ubiquity offers simple, online, affordable, small business retirement solutions starting at just $75 a month. Get ahead of the future with help from Ubiquity's team of experts. Visit myubiquity.com to learn more. That's M-Y-U-B-I-Q-U-I-T-Y.com to learn more. If you work for a small business and they've told you that they can't afford a retirement plan, you want to send your boss to my ubiquity because um, finally they're making those a little more affordable. Paul Ollinger is back. It's about time you're back. How are you, man? I'm good. That was my Hollywood Squares wave. <laughs> Charles Nelson Riley. <laughs> and for all you listening at home, he had the big smile and hey, uh, wave. Yes, absolutely. So what's been going on there in Atlanta? You've been doing a lot of traveling. You said baseball season has sprung. My 10-year-old son is uh, big into baseball, so we had a couple of practices this weekend, and uh, uh, daughter has tennis lessons, so lots of spring is spring is struggling to break through. We had decent weather this week, 28 days of rain in February, but, uh, but, but spring is struggling to break through, so do you drive a mini? Comes. Do you drive a minivan? Have you embraced your manliness? I do not drive a minivan. Um, I drive a Tesla. And it has been in the shop for three months because they can't get the parts to fix it. Oh, So their new vehicle business is robust, so robust they don't have parts. And I'm sure the supply chain ch- uh, challenges that are happening in the world these days aren't helping things either. If, if Jack Welch were running that company... It might have gone a little different. We're gonna talk about Perhaps. Mr. we're gonna talk about Mr. Welch today. Of course, the guy running it's no slouch himself. But uh, we'll talk about Jack Welch today, who passed away earlier this week. Uh, some big lessons from him. But let's see which one of our friends is gonna help us kick off today's show. Hey, what's good? This is Rich from Paychecks and Balances. Headlines ripped from the financial press. Only at Money with Friends. All right. This piece comes to us from CNN Business, but of course, it was all over the news earlier this week. Jack Welch, former GE CEO, is dead. This is written by Chris Isidore from CNN Business. Uh, Chris writes, Jack Welch, who led General Electric through 20 years of its greatest financial success, has died. He was 84. Welch, Welch became CEO of GE in 1981 and led it until his retirement in 2001. Today's a sad day for the entire GE family. GE CEO Larry Culp said in a statement, Jack was larger than life in the heart of GE for half a century. He reshaped the face of our company in the business world. Jack was a strong and constant influence throughout my career, despite never having worked directly for him. 
Welch was named Manager of the Century by Fortune Magazine 1999, massively increased the scope and financial might of GE during his time at the top of the company. The market value of the stock rose from $14 billion to more than $400 billion, an increase of more than 2,700% during those 20 years. He had a tremendous focus on shareholder value, said Jeff Sonnenfeld, a Yale business professor and founder and president of the Chief Executive Leadership Institute, who talked Welch in the early 1980s. Sonnenfeld noted that Welch also pushed GE into new lines of business with mixed results. For instance, Welch presided over GE's 1986 takeover of NBC owner RCA. GE sold the business to Comcast in 2013 on the advice of Liz Lemon, who, uh, oh, never mind. That's, that's a different show. And under Welsh, GE plowed headfirst into financial services, creating one of the world's largest banks. Yet GE, cap- yet GE Capital imploded during the 2008 financial crisis, nearly bringing the rest of GE with it. That provided a cookie jar, but it was a diversion that many European industrial giants didn't get distracted with, said Sonnenfeld. Welch was also dubbed Neutron Jack, as he became known for shedding both divisions and individual managers who believe were not performing at a, at a sufficient level. His first year as CEO in 1981, he sold close to 100 businesses, said Sonnenfeld. The first thing he did was reverse what to that point had been the biggest acquisition in GE history. It's $2 billion purchase of Utah International. Hmm. And there we go. Did uh, uh, did you follow Jack Welch at all during your career? Were you a Welch I, fan I, or a Welch hater or... Not a not a huge devotee. I'm not really one of those guys that reads everything like Warren Buffett or Jack Welch, but I was certainly aware of his guru uh, like nature in the business, uh, and was always always thinking about that. You know, cut the bottom ten percent of your employees thing. Uh, so I did my best to stay out of the uh, the bottom ten percent wherever I worked. That was my goal. Yeah, and for people who don't know how that worked, what he would do was, uh, I believe he would he would uh, arrange people by thirds. The top third got a massive raise. The middle third kept their job. The lower third, most of them went on a performance improvement plan. They got a thing saying, you're in the bottom third, watch out. And the bottom 10%, to Paul's point, lost their lost their job. And I heard during his reign, before that reason, Paul, it was it was not a fun place to work. And then you, but, but then you go to the nature of, of, of business. He's trying to take this company that was sleepy and behind had all these assets and was doing nothing with them and turned it into a lean, mean machine. Yeah. I don't know where, where would you rather work where, uh, where slovenliness is tolerated or a place where basically a forced curve forces some sort of like Lord of the flies type mentality where you'll cut your, you'll cut your colleague just to look good from a relative perspective. I, I always thought, I always thought there's got to be a middle ground. Um, and when I was at American Express, the guy that I work for was the number one group vice president in the country running the Midwest. And under his leadership, it went from the, the, the worst region in the U.S. to the top region in the U.S. for my division. And part of what he did, Paul, was he made everybody's productivity public. It got posted every Monday, how everybody had done dollars and cents to the company was posted on on a place where everybody could see it. And detractors didn't like it, but immediately there was no place to hide. But he didn't go and fire the bottom the bottom 10%. Right. And there wasn't, I didn't feel like there was a knife in my back or waiting to be in my back every moment. 
Well, I think ending up at the bottom of that list over time gets a little old and people might self-select out of the program where it's like, uh, I think I want to go to a different place where the scoreboard is either more in my favor or not public. I don't, I, I don't know if you saw the way he couched this. Did you ever see his, his defense of this and how it was actually a good thing? He believed, and, and I, I kind of believe this too, that he was doing you a favor he said that if you're in the bottom 10% and if you can only, you know, if Shirley MacLaine is wrong and we don't all get reincarnated and you can only live one time, why are you going to waste your one life doing something where you're in the bottom 10%? Like, don't do it. Yeah. And so then right. he took that same thing. And on a macro level, that's what he did with businesses. He said, if we're competitive in a business, we'll stay. If we're not competitive, what the hell are we doing here? Let's get away. Yeah. And I often feel like people spend a lot of time quote, competing in those arenas where it doesn't make any difference. They spend all day commenting about politics on Facebook, you know, getting angry right. about stuff yeah. I can't control versus going and making the better life for themselves. Second prize is a set of steak knives. That's, <laughs> that's all you got to, that's all you need to know. I love that movie. Coffee's for closers. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, for people that don't know what we're talking about. Did you see, you saw that movie? Uh, several times. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we had a we had a manager at American Express who said the line, put the coffee down, coffee's for closers, non-ironically, yep. like he wasn't being ironic. A dude <laughs> went and got coffee at the end, at the back of the room, and the guy's like, put the coffee down, coffee's for closers. And the rest of us in the room are like, oh, you're an idiot. Like, you're just yeah. a complete, complete wow. moron. My favorite, my favorite Jack Welch-ism, the one, the one Jack Welch thing that I liked more than any other was a phrase, and I'm not going to get the words right, but the sentiment is right on. And Jack always had this way of saying, uh, face reality as it is, not the way you wish it were or hope it will be. Um, Let's just deal with reality as it is right now. And I often Mm. feel like, Paul, too, not just when it comes to money, but productivity or whatever, we spend a lot of time on hope and on this magical fantasy universe that I think things are versus Mm -hmm. how life really is where i'm really at that's a very stoic approach a stoical approach to life and uh, it may mean that quite literally people think that stoicism is about being uh dispassionate or whatever but it's really about facing reality with clear eyes and saying hey i can't change reality i can only affect the way i react to the situations i find myself in and and then do my very best to to you know improve them as much as I can, uh, which that attitude is growing in popularity again thanks to some people modern Stoics, but uh, it couldn't spread fast enough in my opinion. Yeah, people like uh, what Ryan Holiday did I get that name right? Ryan Holiday. Yeah. Ryan Holiday. Uh, Tim Ferriss read read did a new version of uh, of um, Marcus Aurelius uh, mm. as well. Like that's interesting. I haven't followed that, but I know I would love it. Um, and I follow a few things like when I just pick them up, but I've never yep. dove in. Well, if I can endorse Ryan's daily, uh, message, daily stoic.com D A I L Y S T O I C. You get an email every morning that has a passage from, you know, one of these, uh, classic like, uh, Marcus Aurelius's meditations or Seneca or Cato, and it'll kind of reflect on maybe what's happening in the world that day and 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 put it in the perspective of 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 stoic thinkers. It's pretty I find it to be very valuable. It's sort of my meditation for the day. That's why I I got very frustrated when I was a financial planner. People would come into my office and they want to talk about everything except the stuff that they can control. 
Um, yeah. They want to talk about the the market, right? They come in and they want to talk about the market. They want to talk about the political atmosphere. They want to talk about tax rates. They want to talk mm-hmm. about all of these things, maybe things going on with my boss and my job that were out of my control. They're downsizing. But when we'd start talking about saving more effectively or having a budget or <laughs> what, can't spend any time on that stuff. Right. Which yeah. is why the best financial, the best thing that I ever did in financial planning, which there were two of them total, but the mm-hmm. best one of the two was a better one. The better, the, the betterest. We would, we would, uh, I, I would create milestones toward goals. And when my client would come in, we would just add everything up the stuff that I knew about already. And they bring in like their 401k statement and whatever mm-hmm. money in the savings account, we'd add it up and we compare it to where they were supposed to be to reach the goal that they said that they wanted. And it was funny because when we did that and I can wholeheartedly endorse, this is kind of a stoicism slash Jack Welch thing to do is it completely reframed the conversation. If we were behind, it wasn't, even, even if the market had created the fact that we were behind, it wasn't, okay, is the market going to come back? It was, what can I do to make up for the fact that the market went down? What can I do? Mm-hmm. And if we're ahead, it was, what do I get to do differently now? I can slow down saving now. I can reach the goal earlier. I can supersize the goal. Like we'd have, no matter what happened, we always had much more of a of a uh, discussion about stuff that we could, that we could do something about. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, you know, the first article we talked about sharing this week was about how people are reacting to the coronavirus. And uh, in many cases, the best thing you can do is nothing, right? It's right. just to don't react and 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 restrain yourself from wanting to try to control things that are that are outside of your control. And and instead uh well, and and when you do react, and you and I'll have more about this tomorrow, but when you do react, do the things that matter. You're seeing all these people buying masks. And when you actually, if you spend four <laughs> seconds reading about how coronavirus really works, that the, the, the mask is irrelevant. Yes. Uh, uh, but if Paul walks up and licks you, then we have a problem. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah. Yeah. Don't touch me. Don't we do, touch me. We do this podcast live hanging out with some of our friends on Facebook. If you want to hang out with us, it's facebook.com forward slash I stack Benjamins, Lisa and Kevin together say, wash your hands. There, there it is, guys. Wash your hands. Sarah, going back to our conversation about being in the, in the bottom 10%, Paul says, you feel you're doing your best work and you're still in the bottom 10%. That job might not be the best fit for you. I think he really Clearly, is. He yeah. really is doing people a favor by getting rid of them. If, I agree. I mean, I, you know, people should be, people should want to work where they're going to be able to make a real contribution to the success of the organization. And if you keep finding yourself at the back of the pack, well, either that pack is running too fast for you or you're running the wrong race. Yeah. Yeah. Doing something totally different than everybody else. Danny's with us. He says, man, this reminds me how much I don't miss the corporate hamster wheel. I got to tell you, Danny, even telling those American Express stories makes me go, I do not want to go back there. I do not. And it was a fine place. That's not a rip on American Express. It's just a- where would you, so where would you rather work? Would you rather work someplace that is just absolutely high performing and you're in the 50th percentile or someplace where you were top dog? Um, the younger me would have said someplace where I'm top dog. The older me says I'd rather be in a 50% team. That's all going the right way. That 
That is fun. That is that is really fun. And when I feel like I'm learning from the people around me every day, the older I get, the more coaches I have because mm-hmm. I feel like if I'm the dumbest person in the room, it's a fun day and I feel this <laughs> sense of growth. <laughs> it, it is awesome. Right, right. How about you? Uh, I'd say, I'd say the 50th percentile. Although, you know, people, the, the research shows that at least from an affluence perspective, people would rather be relatively affluent, much more so than absolutely affluent. So I wonder if that's the same thing from a performance perspective. Like, would you rather, would you rather be, you know, uh, king of the dip? Uh, can I say, can I, we can't swear on the show. Uh, as, as from <laughs> Joe's like, no, no. King, king of the dip somethings, uh, as was said in uh, Not Pretty in Pink, in um, 16 Candles, Farmer Ted was, he, he was, he was the head loser in that show. Remember the, the uh, that's a poll right uh, there. Yeah. Well, it's, that's deeply ingrained in, in my identity. He was the head loser. And would you rather be that guy or would you rather be like in the popular group, but somewhere in the middle and not, not remarkable within that upper tier of, of society, whether it be at your work or in high school, what would you rather be? Well, see in that one in high school, I would rather be the king of the, the dips because, yeah. because, cause I think the dips, a lot of the dips, like as I get older, I realize that a mm-hmm. lot of the dips are people that just refuse to play that game. That was a, was a, was a nonsense game anyway. You know, sure, sure. So well, that's a perspective. I mean, what you've you've already given up, Joe. I mean, both of us lost all our hair. I mean, like we're not we're not relevant anymore from a from a popularity perspective. We're we just done. If I would have shown up in high school, guys. if I would have shown up in high school with this head of hair that you and I have, oh, uh, yes. I hang out. I hang out with a lot of you know, like in the comedy world, I hang out with a lot of twenty five and thirty year old guys, and they're losing their hair and they walk around with baseball hats on. I'm like. Dude, just let it go. Just get comfortable now. Embrace it. Get you think that hat's fooling anybody? We know. We know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in just a moment, on that on that great note, I'm I'm glad how we can take a, a Jack Welch passed away this week discussion and make it about losing your hair. Of course, Jack Welch was in that camp too. Not not uh, he was kind of follically challenged as well. He did okay. He did okay. See. Yeah. It's not about your hair. It's about, you know, what degree of badassery you you perform at. And Jack performed quite well. Yeah. It's talking about a guy that owned it. In just a second, uh, Paul and I are going to have our big uh, takeaway from today's show. But while I give Paul a minute to gather his thoughts and save this podcast with an amazing takeaway, I want to talk a little bit about ubiquity. Because if you either work for a small business or you're somebody that owns a small business and you thought that having retirement benefits was beyond you, think again. It doesn't have to be the way that it has been in the past, which is there's no way that you could afford to actually do the right thing, which is give yourself and your employees the leg up. But ubiquity, retirement and savings changes all of that. If you're a small business owner, choosing that right retirement plan probably seems pretty complicated, but Ubiquity makes it easy to save for the future on your terms within your budget. Just a few clicks, you can see 401k plans designed by experts online or talk to them and tailor a plan that meets your specific needs and the needs of your employees. Ubiquity is you affordable, you affordable, you affordable, you be affordable. 
flat fee plan start at just $75 a month. And whether you're a solopreneur or have a team of 100 employees, everybody gets the same exceptional service at Ubiquity. Kickstart your future at myubiquity.com. By the way, if you use the link, uh, com and go forward slash MWF, uh, or tell them that you listen to Money with Friends, you'll find that um, they have a small, because it's very intensive at the beginning to set up a retirement plan, they have a uh, a fee initially to set it up, which isn't onerous, but that's when they have to do a lot of work. So there's a fee for that. They just uh, uh, told me this last week, they're going to waive that fee for fans of the show. So you're hey, welcome, nice. world. You're welcome, just because you're listening to Paul and I. What's our, what's our, what's our takeaway here, Paul? Here's what I think about the takeaway. Uh, Jack was said he always wanted to be number one or two in whatever business he was in, right? And I think that's a great lesson for all of us in life. Decide what you want to win at and go in strong. Don't bring a knife to a gunfight in the areas of your life where you want to succeed. Bring a gun to a gunfight. Bring a bring a bazooka to a gunfight and go in there and win. And in those areas that you're not going to be great at, don't sweat it, you know? It's funny. I just got some uh, coaching, some some really good uh, coaching from a group called Strategic Coach. And one of the first things they teach you is exactly that, Paul. Focus on your unique talent. Spend more time doing the one thing that nobody else in your organization can do. And then identify what everybody else's unique talent is that works with you and try to line those up as much as possible. And what you'll find mm-hmm. is the reason why a lot of entrepreneurs were successful working for themselves is because of this rugged individualism. It ends up being what costs you later because you end up doing everything. You're doing all these 50,000 tasks, but hire the right people who like doing these other things and, and everybody's winning. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, my takeaway is going to be about controlling it. I really like the idea that Jack Welch talked about. I disagree with Sonnenfeld in this article, Paul. He said he said that he he was very big on delivering shareholder value. The big criticism I remember from the 90s as, as an older guy is him getting ripped in the 90s because he didn't talk about shareholders enough. He got ripped mm-hmm. because the, the, the annual report at the beginning, the message from the CEO, always talked about his employees and how good they were and all the cool stuff they were doing and how he was going to push his employees even harder. And, and, and uh, I remember him getting a lot of flack for not paying attention to the shareholder, but Jack did what I think a lot of people need to remember, which is focus on the things that you can control. I, I talk about Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly affected people a lot, but Covey talks about there are these different pots. There's the pot you can control, the pot you influence, and the pot you neither influence nor control. And we spend way too much time worried about and focused on the stuff that we can't control. If we get rid of that and instead take a proactive approach and look at what can I do better to improve whatever situation I'm in, I think I think that's the biggest Jack Welch lesson I learned, Paul. Yeah. Well, it shows you what financial journalists know about running a company, right? I mean, let Jack run the company and you analyze from the sidelines. Uh, You know that story about, I think it was Paul Volcker who ran uh, Alcoa, the aluminum company. And uh, when he took over, might not be, it was somebody who went into government service. But when he took over, he said the number one thing he was going to focus on was worker safety. And people thought he was insane. And that's what they focused on. And it changed the entire organization. It made it so much more efficient. Employees ended up loving working there. 
They became that much more productive. Sales took off, blah, blah, blah. And it's like people thought he was insane. Both shareholders, journalists, the board, they thought he was insane when he started. And yet he proved to be right by focusing on the one thing that was measurable and controllable. I I read about that in the NFL that, you know, the difference between these players, as you know, is minuscule between the worst team and the best team. But whenever you walk into the locker room, you can tell by the quality of the locker room, like what what the what the owners have done. And they don't always do the right thing. But what the owners have done and the general manager and the coach have done to make that a place that's great to work. Like I've always heard that in Seattle, working with Pete Carroll, the reason that team wins is because he's great to great to to work for and the same was yeah. it was with uh what was his name in um uh i'm gonna switch over to baseball but the the guy with the cubs uh joe madden that that joe mm. madden would keep his teams just loose and having fun um mm. yeah yeah jack welch didn't make it fun but he certainly focused on <laughs> <laughs> you know it's fun cashing big checks and if you <laughs> had that right. stock you cashed big checks my boss used to call it uh when i was at american express crying all the way to the bank yeah, he said yeah. when when somebody would cope with having trouble coping, he's like, "I'm sorry, you're crying all the way to the bank. That's tough." But yeah. I still don't there want anything to do with that. Paul, what's going on at Crazy Money? Give us give us something that's coming up. Uh, a lot of good things happening. I had a great interview last. Uh, we post every wait. W- sorry, this is Wednesday, right? Okay, this is Thursday. This is Thursday next week. Have a great interview with a guy named Adam Minter who wrote a book called Junkyard Planet. And it's all about what happens to the stuff that we consume. We human beings are go out, we buy stuff. Do you think about the life cycle of what you buy and how it affects the world to which of which you are a member at a mentor? And I also have coming up the week after that, an interview with Heisman Trophy winner, Danny Werfel from the University of Florida. Dan, that is a fun dude. Oh yeah, you know him? Have you met him? Uh, uh, I've just heard him talk. And I think that would be a really oh, yeah. interesting interview. Yeah, he's the executive director of an organization called Desire Street Ministries, which helps uh, helps turn around uh, communities that that need some economic and spiritual help. Wow. And that's all at Crazy Money. Tune in there. Just pause this right here. Go tune in over there. Wherever finer <laughs> podcasts are, are, are created or are distributed. Uh, that's Paul. I'm Joe. Tomorrow we're going to be back. We're talking about coronavirus tomorrow, but... Paul's got yeah. a Paul's got kind of a kind of believe it or not a funny take on Bring your Purell uh, on the coronavirus maybe a gross take uh, I'll just leave it leave that there a dirty topic tomorrow how about that uh, I'm money with friends bye bye. This show is created and hosted by Joe Saul Cihai and Bobby Rebel and is a joint venture of BRK Media LLC and Stacking Benjamins LLC, copyright 2020. Ryan Sini and Nicole Thornhill from Pro Podcast Solutions engineered this show, and Ashley Wall is the producer. For a list of the thought leaders who appear on the podcast, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be a part of the show. As with anything, remember, you shouldn't take advice from any of us or other video or podcasts without first talking to your financial advisor and that the people in this episode are here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you back here next time with another episode of Money with Friends.